the word to us this morning. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Nate. But yeah, for those of you I don't know, just to introduce myself a little bit more, um, and I know a lot of you in here. Um, and, and for those of you I don't know, please take the opportunity to introduce yourself to me after the service. Um, but for many of you, I consider family. Um, I consider very dear friends. And um, my wife and I, Kelly, uh, have been covenant members here uh, with SOMA for about five years. Um, we started out at Midtown. We moved here originally from Ohio. We have four boys, uh, Bennett, who is seven, Silas, who is five, Charlie, who is almost three, and Aaron, who is a little over a year. And um, for those of you who have not had exposure to a large family, you might think that's absolutely crazy. You, you would be right. It, that actually is a little bit crazy. But it's also the best fun a dad could ever have. I absolutely love it. And I'm getting teared up thinking about it. So, um, yeah, amen to that. Yeah. So before I actually dig into the word, let's just take some time, bow our heads, and, and pray for this morning. Father, as we come off um, just a period of just worshiping you in song, we can't say anything but the victory belongs to you. And as we dig into Matthew 6, verses 25 to 30, 34, I just pray that you would wash over our hearts, specifically in regards to giving us a peace when it comes to anxiety and when it comes to worry, that we would, re we would realize that there is true freedom in you. There is true freedom in your cross. Father, would you remind us of that this morning, maybe even for the first time. We love you. We give this time to you in your name. Amen. Well, over the past few weeks, we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Specifically, we've been looking at Matthew 6 over the past few. And, we, and Jesus has kind of introduced us to what we would consider to be spiritual disciplines. We've looked at giving, we've looked at praying, we've looked at fasting, and then last week, Brian kind of uh, started this off looking at what it means to store up our treasures in heaven as opposed to storing up our treasures here on earth. And that we cannot worship both God and money. We will, we will either hate the one and love the other. And we don't have a choice. And now today... We dig into Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. This topic is personal to me, as I'm sure it is to many of you. Anxiety is a very real thing. Worry is a very real thing. I would be hard-pressed to believe that some of us have not experienced anxiety this very morning. And I know it's something that I deal with in my own life. I know that it's not, it's not a week that goes by that my wife and I don't deal with it on some level, specifically in regards to our oldest son, Bennett. Even just a few weeks ago, when we told Bennett that he was going to have to go back in and get tubes put in his ears for surgery, he heard that word, surgery, and he went ballistic. The thought of having a mask put back on his face and having to go to sleep, and possibly having a needle put in his arm, drove him insane. And as I am dragging him into the hospital, I'm worried, like, is DCS going to call me? Like, what's going to happen? Part of me as a dad was truly sad. I was sad over the fact that no matter how much I tell my son, it's going to be okay. He wouldn't believe me. He wouldn't trust me. And he couldn't. 
Anxiety had taken over. But then the, the truth is also for my own life. You know, right now, I, my full-time gig is, is I, I, I work actually a little bit for the church, but my full-time job is I'm a professor down at IUPUI, and I'm currently going through what we call the tenure track process. And that's a, a five-year probationary period, and then you put together this big collection of work, and then you submit it to about six different layers of people. And if you get a thumbs down anywhere along the way, they'll say, sorry about that, you've got a year to find a new job. And it's normally anxiety-inducing for anybody that goes through this process. That's a very normal part of the process for a lot of people. And it certainly is for me. I have a few months left before I submit everything. And, and then I think about men that are men and women that are in the Bible. And I think of David. Here's David, a man on the run for his life. His son has just overthrown him. So not only has he lost his son, that relationship is severed. He is now on the run for his very life. And yet, in Psalm 4.8, he says, For you, o Lord, you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. How can he say that? How can he be at rest and at peace with his very life when he is on the run? And so the big idea we're going to look at today, friends, is that we are going to see that Jesus presents us with the root of anxiety. And that's a lack of faith, of unbelief, of distrust in him, and a desire for us to have control, to be our own God. And only by seeking him first we will, will we find real rest and freedom from anxiety in our lives. We're going to look at some examples that Jesus presents us of his assurance, where anxiety comes from, what it does to our lives, and what we can do when we face fear and anxiety. So let's dig into today's passage. If you could turn with me to page 474 in your Bible, we're going to be looking at Matthew 6, verses 25 to 30, 34. I'll give you a few minutes to get there. Oh, yes, you can keep the Bibles. They're yours. If you do not have one, take it with you. Try not to keep the pens. We're short. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There's like one per row. I'm, you know. Starting in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more, more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not a more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why, are you, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. Jesus immediately presents us with some examples of who he is and his own assurance. He starts by talking about the birds. And what he's stating here right up front is that embedded in his very creation are reminders that God does not abandon the work of his hands. Looking at Genesis 1:28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God did not say, all right, this is beautiful. This is amazing. This is good. All right, have a good time and walked away. He didn't say, you know what, you guys can take care of it from here on out. And when we hear sowing or reaping, it's not like we see birds outside making like little bird farms and like growing crops and like, you know, no, they're not like making little storehouses and having their own sheds. They know that they can get food every single day, right? And yet we worry constantly about what is going to happen next. And then he says, aren't we of more value than they? He then goes on to say in in 627, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? How many of you have to think about breathing right now? I, I mean, I don't think so. God's taking care of that for us. And he's saying here that worrying will not add any more span to our life. He is God over life and over death. He has numbered our days. And that's it. And so by worrying, we're not going to get any more. He also is the God of our provision, of our stuff. In 28 through 30, he says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, first of all, talking about the need for clothing and, you know, how that appears to us, I might not be the best example of that. I can't remember what I wore two days ago. My wife can remember what I've worn the past four Sundays, And, you know, she actually picked up my clothes for today. So thanks, babe. I appreciate it. But if you look at kids, you know, it's interesting. They don't necessarily care what clothes that they wear. I mean, my three-year-old does. It has to be Paw Patrol, PJs. But, you know, for the most of them, they could be shirtless. They could be naked. It's, you know, for them, they don't care. But for us, yes, sometimes there's a worry about There can be a worry about, well, am I actually going to have clothes? But a lot of times, clothes have to do with appearance. It's how other people view us. It's how other people perceive us. 
And we can get really fixated on that. How are we viewed by other people? And we get anxious about our perception. And this is where image comes in. If I can just create the perfect image so that when people see me, they see me this way. That just increases our anxiety because the cycle never ends. And so God is, God is saying right here, I am the God over creation. I am God over the living and of the dead. And I'm even the God over all your stuff. I am the God and I can be the God if you would allow me to be the God over how people view you. And then we come to verse 30. And right at the end of verse 30, he says something. He says, oh, you of little faith. And you're, you're going, wait a second, Jesus. So you're calmly reminding us of your assurance and, like, you take care of us and, like, you know, you've taken care of the birds, you'll take care of us, you're more valuable, uh, we're more valuable than they. And now you're saying, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, great. So now it's my fault, right? But he's saying something in that. Looking back earlier in in chapter 6, as we've gone over the past few weeks, if you look at Matthew 6.1, and you're already in Matthew 6 right now, so feel free to look with me. He says in 6.1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. In Matthew 6.5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. In Matthew 6.16, for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So in each of these passages, Jesus is pointing something out. That we have a desire to look good in front of other people and to control how others perceive us, how other people look at us. And then last week, Brian was in 19 through 24. So in verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. So now Jesus is just pointing out another thing. We can't control how other people perceive us, and then we cannot control our own prosperity and comfort and still serve God. Our definition here of prosperity, of comfort, is warped. It's messed up. It's inaccurate. We can't control it. So what happens when we try to control how other people perceive us? What happens when we strive after our own definition of prosperity and of comfort? When we store up treasures here on earth... What we're saying is, God, you are not good enough to take care of my needs. God, you are not good enough to 
to help me realize what my real value is. God, you're not good enough to understand what I really need. God, you can't take care of my future. God, you're not powerful enough to help me raise that support as I go into ministry. God, you're not powerful enough to help us go lead our kids to that school that they desperately need to get into. God, you can't handle it. You can't. And so you know what? I'm going to take you off the throne and I'm going to put myself on. That's what I'm going to do. And then here's what's happening. We put ourselves on the throne and we realize very quickly that our control is nothing but an illusion. That's when anxiety sets in. And so when God says, or when Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, he's saying here we have our faith decreases. And when our faith decreases, anxiety increases. Anxiety sets in and continues to eat away at our life. I know for some of us here, it's chronic. Anxiety is a real issue. It's chronic. It's deep. It's something we struggle with on a daily basis. I know for other people, it's just the little things here and there. Great example. Yesterday, I'm sitting at the pancake house with my four boys and my wife. And um, my boys are being boys. Ben and Silas are arguing with each other about something. And um, Charlie is he's probably stealing food off of somebody else's plate. That's usually what he does. Um, And I noticed that there was an older couple that was staring at us. I mean, we weren't being outrageous. Like, we weren't like the the restaurant, you know, we weren't disrupting the restaurant. They weren't going to have to kick us out or call the police. They were, you know, we were being fairly normal. And yet, this couple was just staring at us the entire time. And all I could think was, oh, my gosh, what what do I need to do to my family so that they won't do that? Like, what do I need to do right now so that they won't look at us that way? And anxiety set in. It only took a minute. It's amazing how quickly anxiety over distrust can can take us. So when we have anxiety over how we are viewed, we work hard to become something that we're not. We compare ourselves to others. Maybe they're too young. <laughs> Maybe they're younger. Maybe they're you know older and wiser. Boy, I wish I was thinner. Boy, I wish I was uh, more athletic. More, I, boy, I wish I could speak better. Boy, I wish I could teach better than, than this person or as good as this person. We continually compare ourselves. It's interesting. Uh, you know, if, if you're over like 32, there was a show that was on for a while. It was one of my favorites. It was called Seinfeld. And there was a character in Seinfeld named George Costanza. Now, George self, you know, admitted that he was overweight, that he was balding, and he was short and stocky. And yet, it's amazing to me how many episodes were dedicated to his view of himself. One episode, he's getting a toupee. Another episode, he's getting, like, you know, hair regrowth. Another episode, he's worried about this woman's view of, like, the fact that he's short and fat. Like, you know, and it's amazing to me how much of it consumed his life. And it was hilarious, but also at the same time, it was really sad. And it's kind of like that. It can eat away at us. 
we're constantly consumed by anti-aging. Right now, if you look at the, the industry for anti-aging, by 2021, we are expected to hit 33 point, uh, 30, let me get this right, $331.41 billion in the anti-aging industry. We are entirely consumed with trying to stay young. I mean, I might need a little work myself, but we have a fixation with trying to fight death. We have anxiety over our own version of comfort and of prosperity. So what's that look like? When we live by the God of money, which essentially that is, we're constantly going to worry about whatever item we own, or we will try with everything we can to increase our wealth. There's a constant rat race for societal increase. If I get that new truck, uh, I don't think you can borrow it. I just got it. It's brand new. Um, you know, we get that new house. Well, you know, we're just trying to get settled in. It's, you know, we're very comfortable. We've we're, we're, we got this comfortable life going on. We don't really need to have people over right now. With our money, I think I'm giving enough. Like, I, I've hit the 10% mark. I'm good. You know, I don't need to give any more of my money to people who might be in need. Because it messes with our definition of comfort. It messes with our definition of prosperity. We also have anxiety when it comes to our relationships, when we try to control our relationships or have ownership essentially over other people. I'm going to start with a hard one. My kids because there is a reality, I promised myself I wouldn't cry when I said this part. Um, there is a reality that when I tuck my kids to bed at night, it might be the last night I do it. And I know friends who have lost children. But if I am to be a steward of that relationship, if God has blessed me with those kids and I am to steward them, there is a reality that they could be gone someday. It happens in marriages. I know a lot of you have faced divorce and incredible brokenness. Some of you have re lost relationships with that boyfriend or that girlfriend. Some of you, you know, great work, work environment or workplace, and it's fallen apart. And now you've lost those relationships. Friends, we cannot control our relationships. We do not own other people. We are stewards of the things that the Lord has provided us. We are the stewards of the relationships that God has given us. So when we face this anxiety, what do we do? Well, first of all, we keep ourselves on the throne, and it's a continual cycle. I can sit on the throne. All of a sudden, I realize my control is an illusion, and now anxiety sets in. And then I control more. But here's the other thing, is it makes our lives small. It reduces our life to a set of experiences that only we can have here on earth. A list of personal needs. And it reduces our lives pretty much just to the size of our lives. We have nothing to give away to anybody else. Matt Chandler, a well-known pastor, 
at the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas states, you will tend to worry when you attach the vitality of your life to things you don't actually need and can't ever control. And second, you will tend to worry in the face of legitimate need when you forget your heavenly father and his ever faithful covenant love. What's he saying here? He's saying that we are going to worry over the frivolous when we attach the vitality of our lives to what we think we actually need. And when we are faced with legitimate need, we will not know that we can turn to God. Because we've already put ourselves on the throne. Friends, we cannot buy more time with worry and anxiety. We can't make a down payment on it, as Nate would say. If I worry today, that does not mean that everything will be okay tomorrow. I don't get to buy more time. And I will say this. I'm going to put a disclaimer out there. First of all, when it comes to being a steward of the things that God has given us, there is something called wisdom. We are called to be stewards. This is not a, um, a ticket to just, you know, oh, kids, yeah, go ahead, make a wreck of the car, and go ahead, you know, throw things up against the wall. It's perfectly fine. It's all God's. He'll take care of it. That's not what I'm saying. And the other thing I'll say, too, is that this is not a tip ticket for apathy. We live in a broken world. Turn the news on today, and you will see it. This is not a ticket to sit there and do nothing and say, you know what, it's okay, we're free, God will take care of it. No, we are called as the church to stand up for what is right in the face of injustice. This is not a ticket for apathy. So what do we do? I'm going to give you three application points. The first thing we can do is acknowledge it. We have to admit that we don't trust God. We have to stop pretending, friends. We have to admit that, God, I put myself on the throne. I don't trust you. I don't believe you are good, and I don't believe you are powerful. We have to stop pretending. We have to realize in the midst of that that our anxiety does affect other people. It's interesting, as a professor... I am seeing more and more of my students who come into my class with mental, um, mental, mental instability, um, self-worth issues, and a lot of it has to do statistically with helicopter parents. Helicopter parents, it's this idea of I've got my kids and I'm just going to, to I'm going to wrap them in bubble wrap and I'm going to like, you know, put them in a place where nothing can ever hurt them. And by the way, they can't do anything themselves either. And the parents' anxiety has incredible effects on their kids. So we have to stop and we have to admit and acknowledge that we don't trust him. We also have to recognize we, don't have, a, we have a definition problem. That our definition of comfort, of prosperity, it's limited and it's temporal. 
Friends, this is not all life is. Is this life that you live here on earth? Tamise talked about her friend who only has a few days left to live. This is not the end of her life. She's only transitioning. And yet if she believed that her view of of prosperity was only limited to the things that we have here on this earth, how sad that would be. But no, she's already looking to heaven. She's already looking to being with the king. We also have to realize, too, that we don't understand the definition between our needs and our wants, right? You know, my kids have been bugging me for the past week because they, they need this new Nerf gun. Like, it's a need. They've got four more Nerf guns upstairs. That, but, you know, the next-door neighbor's kid has this, like, really sweet, awesome Nerf gun. And so they, they need that, too, and they're, they're going to die if they don't get it. So, but I, and I laugh at that, and we all do. But we do the same thing. You know, I need to eat at this restaurant. I need this car. I need, you know, we do it, we do it as well. We don't understand our own needs. We need to understand that God knows our needs more than we do. And so first we acknowledge it. Second, we realize we have a definition problem. And the third thing is, is we just take it to the Father. In verses 33 and 34, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you think to that story, when Peter is asked to walk on the water with Jesus, Jesus did not say, okay, Peter, get out your water wings. You're going to start, you know, treading water, and, you know, that's how you're going to come towards me. What did Peter do? He just looked at Jesus. That's all he did. That's all he needed to do. Now, he looked down, and he fell in, and Jesus picked him up. We don't believe a gospel of works. We don't believe in a gospel where we have to work really, really, really hard and look really, really good to get somewhere. To chase after the Father, to have that relationship with him. Seek his kingdom first, and then all these other things will be added unto us. That's it. That's all we have to do. So what's the goal here? Is it, is it to remove anxiety? No. The goal is God. That's it. The goal is God. And by seeking him first, by looking on his face, we will find true freedom. When we place our identity in his hands, find purpose in him, and place our inner sense of well-being on his promise, we will find rest in the midst of this broken world. Some of you, myself included, don't believe God is good. We don't trust in his promises when he says that he's going to take care of us. When we come to a place where we can lay our anxieties, fears, worries before him, we will experience unimaginable freedom and the ability to share our possessions, our money, our lives, our homes with those around us. It's interesting, in December, actually it was more like November, 
I went to a dermatologist. I wasn't planning on going. My, my, my wife was like, you really need to go to the dermatologist. Um, there was a spot on my back. And so she looked, and she's looking around. If, if you've ever been to a dermatologist, it's kind of funny. They take a big magnifying glass, and they go up and down your whole body. And come to find out that one spot was nothing. But there was another two spots. And she's like, well, I don't think it's anything, but come back in a month, and we'll biopsy him, and we'll go from there. And I came back in a month, and she biopsied him, and then she called me up a few days before my family was to go on vacation to Disney World, and she said, you have metastatic melanoma on your back, and um, it, it's, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Go on vacation. Have a great time, and we'll see you when you get back. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> what? Um, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Here I am in the face of going to supposedly the happiest place on earth. Um, my wife actually thinks it is the happiest place on earth. But um, and all I could think about is what if this thing starts spreading on my back? And even as I'm standing at the Epcot ball, talking to my dermatologist at 7 o'clock at night, hoping I can get in for surgery quicker, I had to stop and remind myself that God is in control. Because here I am worried about like, okay, what happens if it spreads? What's going to happen to my family? Do I have enough life insurance? Like, are they going to be okay? Am I going to have four kids without a dad? Like, all these things come rushing through your head. God is in control. It is okay. We all go through this. So when we think about anxiety, we have to realize that the lack, the, the anxiety, the root of it is a lack of faith. It's of unbelief and it's of distrust in him. It's a desire for us to seek control, to be our own God. And only by seeking him first will we find rest and freedom from anxiety in our lives. With God is the goal, not freedom from anxiety. And so to close, the first thing I want to say is, if you are not involved with this community, jump in. Because if you are feeling anxiety and worry and you don't know what to do, first of all, you seek his kingdom. And that includes maybe a measure of different things. But that also includes talking to people about it. This church was built on an MC that started five years ago in someone's home. And God has grown that over time. And we now have five MCs, and we have multiple discipleship groups of both men and women throughout this community. Get involved. Get connected with people. Even just start with one. As we move towards the communion table, we have to realize that all this is possible because of the cross. Jesus Christ died a bloody death on the cross and rose again three days later so that we could have freedom in him. And what does that look like? That includes freedom from the anxieties and worries, and worries that we have. We sung earlier, because the, sin, the, sin, because the sinless, I didn't write it down right, 
uh, the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. Because the sinless Savior died, my soul is counted free. What does that mean? We have freedom in him so that we can then give our lives away. And so this morning, as we go towards the communion table, we are reminded of, the, of his death and of his resurrection. That we have freedom in him and that we can take our anxieties and turn them over. And for those of you who don't consider yourselves a believer in him, you don't have to take this cup or, or eat this bread. There's nothing special about it. But if you are one who believes in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, drink this cup and take this food as a reminder of the freedom that we do have in him. Pray pray with me right now. Father, we thank you for your death and your resurrection. And we thank you that because of that death and that resurrection on the cross, that we can have true freedom in you and that we can then give our lives away. Father, as we walk away today, Father, change our perception of prosperity, of comfort, of what our needs are versus want, what our wants are. Father, may we line up our own needs with your needs. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. Father, we give the rest of our time and worship to you. In your name, amen.